You can follow along with me in your Bibles. We're going to call this Christ's exaltation because essentially that's what it is. As I'm preparing for this text, here's a question for you. Have you spent any alone time with the Lord this week? That's really important. Okay, so let's re start reading. I think I'm verses 7 through 11. I believe you can follow along on the overhead. I guess we're going to do 5 through 11. That's fine. So follow along in this. This is Paul writing to this young church of Philippi that he planted. Starting at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, <clears throat> but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, a bondservant, <coughs> being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's your gospel. Therefore, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him. Now look at this. The name, which is above every name, church. That at the name of Jesus, not anybody else, not a prophet, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those who are in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, in that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. <coughs> Powerful words of Scripture. So let's dig in and tease this apart. So last week we unpacked, we dug into verse 8, and unpacked what Jesus endured while he was here on earth as a human. You can remember I graphically unpacked from doctors what death on the cross really was like, what it was experienced like, it was a criminal's death. So we're going to pick up at verse 8 here, so just follow along. So verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, being able to recognize and see him as a man, the form of a man, he humbled himself, made himself of a low condition. How? By becoming obedient, submissive to the point of death, even death on the cross. Slide 6 in the New Living puts it this way. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So last week we unpacked some of these words to help us better understand what, what was Paul teaching us. Well, that word found, that word urethis, means to recognize, to see. They could see in, that he was in appearance as a man. That's the word schemati, where we get our... English word schema or schematic from. He had the outward appearance, something perceptible they could clearly see he was a man. So what do we glean from that? We learn from the text of Scripture that those people who actually saw Jesus 
could clearly see that he was a human being just like they were, except without sin. Jesus suffered the humiliation of being just a mere man. Jesus, church, who is God the Son, was found to be in a human being. He condescended. Kind of he came down, took on the form of a human being. He was fully recognized at that. Something else that I want to make sure that we fully understand here is Jesus was not just half man and half God, or as you see some of the cartoons, the demigod. Jesus was fully human and fully God. So what did this God-man do? He humbled himself. The tapiosin, meaning a person who was submissive, slide eight, to lower oneself, to not seek status, to not seek prestige, privilege, or honor. As I shared with you last week, this that happened was not forced upon Jesus. He voluntarily did it. It was a voluntary humiliation on his part. And last week I'd asked you to think deeply about the humiliation leading up to the cross. His being arrested, his trial, this Jesus that loves you was mocked, spit on, tortured, blindfolded, beaten with fists, having his beard ripped out, having a crown of thorns placed on his head, then beaten down on his head with a reed. And all through all of that, he didn't fight back, never got defensive, never got bitter, never demanding, never accusing. In fact, he refused to assert his rights as the God-man or as a human. And then we looked at Paul's next statement in slide 9. He humbled himself and became obedient to Hupikos. He became submissive. He obeyed to what? To the point of death, even death on a cross. If you guys were witnessing to somebody and you were sharing the EU Gale on the gospel, would you be able to take them here and show them that Christ died on a cross as payment for their sin? And then we looked at some supporting scripture in slide 10 and 11. Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, says this, Christ redeemed, meaning to buy out from, to set free. He set us free from the curse, the kataras, the utter doom and destruction of the law. He became a curse for us, as is written. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Slide 11. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on a cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. And if you pull up last week's sermon, I kind of unpacked what that really meant, how that all fits together from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And in slide 12, Christ redeemed us from the law. Do you remember that word? Redeemed, church. means to buy out from, to set free. The idea of redeemed here has the idea in Scripture of buying a slave's freedom. You see, church, Jesus justifies, declares right those who believe in him. How? By buying them back from their bondage of slavery to sin. Does that hit home with you this morning? Think about it. He Deoxine is the word there. He justifies. He declares those right who actually have come to a saving faith in him 
and he does it by buying them back from their bondage and slavery sin. Do you realize the same power that raised Christ from the dead indwells every believer? You don't have to be a slave to drugs or the booze or alcohol. You don't have to do that. He's not lying to you here. He's telling you this here. Justification is what? The Very good. Look at that. It's the act of God's free grace upon sinners in which He pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight. He wraps you in the righteousness of His Son. And He rescues us or redeems us from the kataras, the curse, the doom and utter destruction of the law. Church, think about it. It was actually the punishment because no man could ever keep the law, including you and me. So what did Jesus do for you and I? He took that curse that we deserved upon himself in our place for our sins at his crucifixion. Again, back in Jesus' day, in the Old Testament times, criminals back then were actually usually stoned first to death. Then they were tied up on a post till sunset as a visible reminder of being rejected by God. How is the curse broken? How is it listed for us? Well, we just saw that. Look at slide 13. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. When we were utterly helpless, the NLT says, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. While we were still helpless, slide 14, what does he mean here? Paul, church, is speaking of the fact that you and I are ungodly and we are completely, totally, completely unworthy of his love. There's nothing in me to make him want to love me. It's an act of his own will. Helpless. Helpless. Asthesnanon, feeble, weak, without strength, powerless, meaning we are powerless on our own to escape sin. Powerless on our own to escape death. Powerless on our own to resist Satan. We are powerless on our own to please God, and yet, in spite of all that, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Does that affect the way you live out each day. Think about that. Does that influence the way you live out each day? So as we've learned from the Scriptures, a payment has been made. A ransom has been paid. Christ came to ransom us. He paid our sin debt. So you and I who were slaves to sin can be set free because our redemption is in Christ. He's the one that bought us back. So listen, this is important. It is Christ alone by His finished work on the cross that purchased you and I and set us free. It was Christ in His cross, church. Now as a result of all of this that Christ endured for us, look at me at verse 9. As all of this took place, all of this was done on our behalf, what happens in verse 9? For this reason, slide 15, God highly exalted. 
the hyperhypso lifted him up. He bestowed, Ekarasato, he bestowed, he conferred an honor on Christ, on his name, the anima, the honor and right, which is above, that's the word hyper, every name. So let's let's break this down. For this reason, slide 16. Here, for this reason, we now see the purpose and the result of all that Jesus Christ endured. His, now it's his exaltation. So what does Paul say? The Father highly exalts him. Right? That word exalted, the word exerasato. It's actually two Greek words put together. Okay? Huper meaning above or over. Hupso meaning to lift over. Now think with me for a moment. Think about this. God the Father has lifted the name of his Son above and over all other names. Okay? All other names. And he bestows on him. That means to give a thing freely and willingly or to confer an honor. That's actually the excursato. Think with me. We've already covered in the earlier text that Jesus, Echinosin, he empties himself. He humbles himself. He completed the work of redemption for his bride, the church. By the way, if you are a born-again believer, did you know you're his bride? How do you want to appear on your wedding day? What do you want to appear as? Think about that for a minute. You're his bride. If you're born again, you're his bride. So what do we see? God the Father is now acting upon Jesus. So Jesus, who humbled himself, is now exalted to the highest place of supreme honor. There's no one above him, church. No angels, no man. Think about this this morning. Think about this. The one who was shamed by a criminal's death on the cross, which was the lowest place imaginable for any human being, is now exalted and given a name above all names. I like how Mark Kuhn puts it in his commentary, slide 17. He says this, Jesus is indeed exalted, but not merely for having fulfilled the function originally intended for humankind, which was Adam, but because the pre-existent one, remember Jesus has always existed with the Father from all eternity past, who has an ontological equality with God, lived a flawless life, saved humanity, so is now humanity's Savior. The name which is above every name, the anima, the honor or right. Now, I want you to think about a name. Think about your name for this morning. When people hear your name, what comes to their mind? And I've asked you many times, are other people's names safe in your mouth? Oh, got quiet, Dr. Carter, already. So he's given a name, an anima. Now, back in the ancient early cultures, well, way back to Old Testament times as well, a name, church, carried so much more 
than just a signature or the identification of a person. You see, back in those days, the name, it embodied the entire person, his character or her character, his being, his personality, his stature in life. Not just a signature on a document. And I like how Gerhard Kittel gives us some understanding to us in his dictionary. He says this, the name, slide 18, denotes the person, establishes its identity, and is part of it. It can often be said, a, as a man is named, so is he. What does your name convey in other people's minds when they hear your name? I know that's a tough one. But, you know, here's the sad part about it today. The name of Jesus is being used as a cuss word throughout each day. Slide 19. His name is cursed by people every moment of every day. How about you and I this morning? How about you and I? Is the name of Jesus, is it safe in your mouth? Or is it a cuss word? Do you find yourself using his name as a cuss word when you get upset or frustrated? Do you love his name because of who he is and what he's done for you? Well, where do we see that in Scripture, Pastor Jack? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament, Exodus 20, verse 7. Now, I know you all being good, godly Christians... You all know the Ten Commandments. You know the two different places in Scripture where they're found. I know, I know you all know that. Mm -hmm. You have it memorized. But Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your Elohim, in vain. Shab. Irreverent, disrespectful, using his name to back up a lie. I swear on Jesus' name, this, this, that, and the other. I know you all are not guilty of that. It's okay. For Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain in an irreverent, disrespectful name or using his name to try to back up a lie to get something from somebody. In the NLT in slide 21, shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. That word, vain, use his name in vain. Church, that, that's a pretty powerful word in Hebrew. The word is Shabbat. It has the idea of slide 21, deceit, fraud, lies. We are to never use God's name in an irreverent way. Ever. We are never to use his name, titles, or attributes in a wicked way or with wicked speech. Imagine somebody taking your name and using it to back up a lie, something that you would not want your name used, or used your name in a disrespectful, dishonoring way. We are to never use his name as a cuss word or to strengthen a lie. For the true follower of Christ, Hear me this morning. For the true follower of Christ, his name should be the most glorious, 
name ever uttered out of your voice. Why? Because the name is above every name. Let me, let me just kind of unpack that for you from the Word of God. This will be like slide 22 through like I'm sure 27. The name above every name. I want to take a moment and share with you some of the names given to Jesus. He is called the Almighty One in Revelation 1.8. He is who is, who was, and who is to come. Do you understand that? He's always been. He is who is. He always was. Ain't R.K. Tulos Hoglas in John 1. He's always existed with the Father. So he is, he was, and he is coming again. He is the Almighty One in Revelation 1.8. He is the Alpha and Omega, or the Aleph and the Tau. He is the first and the last in Revelation 22.13. That's our Jesus. He's our advocate in 1 John 2.1. My dear technods, my children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the author and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12.2. Fixing our eyes on Yeshua, on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, a place of honor. When his work was completed, he sat down at the right hand, the most honorable place you could sit. You know, the priests in the Old Testament had bells on the roads. They couldn't sit. They were always standing. Jesus completed the work and sat down. Authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in Matthew 28, 18. He is the bread of life. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 6, 35. He is the agape toy son. He is the beloved son of God. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son who, with whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 3, 17. Church, he's our deliverer. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. By the way, the tomb is empty. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. And for those who are unbelievers, there's a wrath coming. He is also called faithful and true. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. The rider has a name. He's called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. Revelation 19, 11. Slide 25, he's the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. John 10, 11. He's also our great high priest. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold fast our confession in Hebrews 4.14. Here's something else that's important. He's the head of the church. Pastors, elders, deacons, prophets, about whatever. We're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, the ecclesia. Ephesians 1.22. I am or ego ami. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say before to you before Abraham was, ego ami, I am. You remember in the Old Testament, well, Moses said, well, who should I say sent you if they ask me your name? He says, I am that I am. I cause to be what I cause to be. We really don't know him, do we, church? But he wants us to be known. And he is Emmanuel. She will give birth to a son. We'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, Isaiah 7, 14. Church, he is the king of kings. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Why? Because he is Lord of lords, king of kings, and those who are with him are called the chosen and faithful in Revelation 17, 4. Slide 28. He's the Lamb of God, church. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, or behold, as the King James says, the Lamb of God who carries away or takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. Do you see that? Is it sinking in? Is it hitting in near, church? And he is the foe of the cosmos, the light of the world. He says, listen, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. By the way, following there doesn't mean just okay. No. Follow here has the idea of turning away from a life of sin and drunkenness and drugs and stupidity and walking in obedience with him. That's what that word means there. doesn't mean just aimlessly following him. Whoever follows me that person who follows me is never going to walk in skatos or darkness. That person who's following me will have the light of life. He lit the church up for a purpose. That's John 8, 12. One other important scripture to look at is found in Hebrews 1, 4, slide 29 and 30. Having become, gagenonamanas, Really being more excellent, being better, the creton, superior to the angels. He inherited a more excellent name than them. Gabriel was a powerful angel, but Jesus, his name's above it. Having become as much better and inherited a more excellent name. The NLT says, this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels. Just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. There you go, church. So what does this all mean? Let me try to wrap this up for you. And we're going to definitely get done early. Having become so much better than the angels. That word better than is the word kraton. It means superior. 
Okay? Jesus Christ is not Michael the archangel. He is not a God. He is the God. Don't let any false prophet tell you that he is Michael the archangel. And we can back that up with Scripture. We don't have time, but easily discount that lie from the pit of hell. He is the eternal Son of God that has always existed with the Father from all eternity past. He is superior. And that's the Greek. That's the word used there. He is superior to the angel, so he cannot be Michael the archangel. Dr. Legan Duncan says this in his commentary, slide 31, that Christ was exalted by the Father as the result of his perfect completion of the work of redemption on our behalf. And that, in and of itself, is the consequence of the eternal covenant. Look at this. It is the consequence of the eternal covenant which God the Father and God the Son made before the foundation of the world for the sake of our salvation. It is an amazing thing that is being stressed here. Lord Jesus Christ earned the right to receive his inheritance by his obedience. So church, Jesus is far superior than the angels. He is superior, why? Because he is the only unique, the monogenes, one and only son of God. Dr. Duncan in slide 32 goes on to say this. Try to follow. When we are told that the Son has an inherited a more excellent name than they, it is saying, church, that the Son is supreme in His essence and in His task. No angel has ever atoned for our sins. You will not find any angel in all the 66 canonical books of the Bible telling you that any angel atoned for your sin. Again, another reason why Michael is not Jesus Christ. He is a powerful angel, but he's not, he answers to Jesus. So Jesus shares the very being of God. The Son, the mediator, has achieved in his exaltation the supreme name of Son and Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, the name which is supreme here, is the name of the Son, and it distinguishes him from the angels. Amen? So what have we learned? We've learned from the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is eternally the Son of God. He did not become the Son of God when He clothed Himself in flesh and became a human being. Church, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son was not a new relationship occurred when Jesus became a human being. Listen, it was this continuation of the eternal relationship that has always been, remember? The prostantheon in John John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Okay, remember that. So, he was with God. So, you got God the Father, you got God the Son. The prostantheon is the Greek there. Facing each other, constantly moving towards each other in this, this amazing intimacy. One God. We use the word perichoresis. God the Father was completely and totally in the Son, and the Son was completely and totally in the Father. God the Father was completely and totally in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Spirit is completely and totally in the Father. And then Jesus Christ is completely and totally in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is completely and totally in Jesus. We have one God. One God. One God. Revealed to us through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And then let me finish this up. Slide 33. So that the name, the anamate, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee is going to show honor and respect. Those who are in heaven are going to do it. Those who are on earth are going to do it. Those under the earth are going to do it. And every tongue is going to confess. Every tongue, every glossa, every person of every language is going to homagaleo, is going to confess, acknowledge and fully agree that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what's the first thing that's going to happen? Let's break it down real quick. We're just about done. I only have 18 more pages. No, I'm kidding. Every knee's going to bow. <clears throat> what's so significant about this? See, to bow a knee is an act of homage. What does this mean? It is to publicly show honor and respect. It's interesting to note that Paul was quoting Isaiah who wrote something seven, I think it was around 700 years before the New Testament came into being. In slide 35, Isaiah 45, 22. God says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. One God. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my stoma, my mouth, in righteousness, and it's not going to turn back. That to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. Church, Jesus the Christ is our Lord and Savior to whom every knee will bow down before him. I want you to notice very quickly the three groups of people that are here on the earth, in heaven, under the earth. So the first group, are those who are going to bow are in heaven. These are the angels and all the born-again believers that have gone before us. Well, where does it say that? Well, it's right here, Revelation 4, 8 and 9. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was who is and who is to come. Do you see that? And when the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. Now look at this. Who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever. There you go. There's your Jesus. Then, slide, 10, or, uh, slide 37, verse 10, 11. Then 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, Lord, and our God. Jesus Christ is not only Lord, he is our God. He is the only true and living God. He was the one that is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. Now look at this. For you created all, pasa things, all things, 
And because of your will, they existed and were created. Do you realize that God did not make a mistake when He created you and knit you in your mother's womb? He said in Psalm 139 that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you realize He says that in the Scriptures? He's talking about you. You are born and given a life for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God, not self. Slide 40. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their ergon, their deeds, their works. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For we must all appear before the beam of seat, the judgment seat of God, to give an account of the deeds we did when we were alive, whether good or bad. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The second death, the lake of fire. Now look at verse 15. So there's no misunderstanding. And if anyone's anima name was not found graphate written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't get more clear than that, church. It doesn't get more clear than that. So you have the second death, people on the earth, the third death, the people under the earth. So let me finish it up. I only have two slides left. Philippians says, every tongue, meaning, that's the word where we get the word glossary from. You guys ever remember if you're in elementary school, they had a glossary in the back, right? All right, so there's your glossa. See, you guys know Greek. I'm so proud of you. So every tongue, every glossa, every person of every language is going to confess Every person is going to acknowledge and agree fully that Jesus Christ is the Kyrios, the Lord to the doxa of the Thias of the Father, the glory of God the Father. Listen, no matter what language a person speaks, doesn't matter their nationality, skin color, doesn't matter at all. Every human being alive that has ever been created by God is going to bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me finish here with this last one. This is John MacArthur. The holy angels, the redeemed saints in heaven and on earth, all the enemies of God on the earth and in hell, forever confined by his unbreakable power that holds them in eternal punishment. By the way, if you die without Christ, there's no parole, there's no pardon. You don't do five years in hell and then God says, I'm going to let you out on good behavior and give you an ankle bracelet. Don't work that way. His unbreakable power that holds them in eternal punishment, they will bow their knee before His sovereign authority. Even the damned demons, including Satan, will have no choice but to agree with and confess the reality that Jesus is Lord. So church, a profession of faith that produces no true obedience is worthless. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I know we hit a lot this morning. The gospel's been laid out for you. If you were to drop dead today, literally, ambulance comes and hits you with the paddles and you're not coming back. If you were to die today and your time here on the earth here is done and you were to appear before that judgment seat, and Jesus was to look you in the eye and say, why should I let you into heaven? 
I want you to think very clearly about what your answer would be. Because your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. What would you say? Well, I was a good person. No, you weren't. There's none that do good. There's none righteous. No, not one. All of us have gone astray. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Every one of us has sinned and broken God's law. Every one. There's none who does good. No, not one. Romans 3, 11 through 15. There's only one answer that you will ever be able to give. And that is, well, Lord, I place my faith and trust in your finished work on the cross to pay my sin debt in full. And so the only reason that I would be allowed into heaven is because of what you accomplished on my behalf. Church, the very worst about you and I, as I've said it a hundred times before, the very worst about me and you was placed on Jesus. And the very, very best of him was credited to you. Don't ever forget that. So if you have not surrendered your life to Christ today, I want to deeply encourage you, now is the time to get right with God. You do not know when you will draw your last breath on earth. And it is appointed once for a person to die and then to judge him. Please understand, we do not get a second chance. Once we're done here, that's it. That is it. There is nothing in Scripture that says you get it to do it over again. It is appointed once for a person to die, then to judgment. So if you're here, you've heard the gospel, you know what Christ has done, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as he's been freely offered into you in the gospel. Amen? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.